I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode of The Bib Show is brought to you by Bridge Street Capital Partners. Bridge Street is a Sydney-based corporate advisory firm that specializes in equity capital markets transactions for small cap companies listed on the ASX, primarily in the mining, energy and tech sectors. If you are a Section 708 sophisticated investor and would like to be on Bridge Street's distribution list for their upcoming capital raisings, send them an email with your details to info at bridgestreetcapital.com.au and mention the BIP show in your message. And now, on with the show. Hello again, Al. You're listening to The Bip Show. Bip is for business investing and policy. That is what we are here to talk about. Don't forget to hit subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. And a reminder that all financial information in this podcast is generally nature only. Speak to a professional advisor about your needs. I am James Whelan, Investment Manager at BFS Group, joined here by the amazing Paul Colgan, Director at CT Group, a research and campaigns consultancy in Sydney. How are you now, Paul? Good day, James. How are you? Not so bad. Fantastic for this time of day. At this hour of the year, I'm missing today's uh, Ken Vexler, Head of Acumen Management. Uh, not live from Amsterdam. So, Ken, good day. Uh, we'll catch you next time. Fantastic. Now, copper, done to death. Oil, <laughs> yesterday's news. Coal uh, was boring 40 years ago. Uh, and today, we're all about all the fun stuff. Uh, uh, we've got the lithium, we've got the nickel, we've got the graphite, we've got the rare earths. Anything else we can get to all of the uh, all of the hot stuff that edgy edgy metals and edgy commodities, which is uh, really where uh, there's a lot of interest that's, uh, that's happening in that space. Now we are joined today by Bridge Street Capital Partners Executive Director and Equity Research Analyst Dr. Chris Baker, self-described analyst, old school stock picker, plain and simple. History uh, in very short 12, 12 years on the sell side with UBS and Barclays, and then 15 years as an analyst at PM and Colonial First State, and then Caledonia, and he's spent five years with Bridge Street Capital Partners who have been doing some amazing work, uh, which is great. Dr. Baker has a track on all of what I would deem the hot commodities, and we have a chance to pick his brain for a short amount of time uh, through the commodity, uh, the base case, where the growth is, where the hot stuff is, how uh, Dr. Baker reaches his conclusions, and finally, we might just get to some of the stocks that are undervalued and, uh, and maybe some of the things that, uh, that you might want to have a bit of a pleasure with. Uh, Dr. Baker or Chris, how are you now? Uh, well, thank you, James. Thanks for, um, for inviting me. Kind of, no problem at all. Uh, do you prefer Dr. Baker or Chris? Chris is just fine. Excellent. Uh, no problem at all. Right. Now, first off, let's talk lithium, which has been, uh, well, Needs no introduction, really. There was a time only a couple of years ago when nobody really knew what lithium was, and then all of a sudden everyone wants to talk about it in every pub and every barbecue and every lunch spot around the country. In July, lithium futures, depending on where you look at them, uh, were only oh, 15.8. Uh, what is that per? I don't even know what how they measure yeah, lithium anymore. Per, per ton, yeah. Per ton, and currently, oh, when I checked last night, 21.48. Mm. Uh, 
Well, and, I, and then the Tesla and then the Tesla news dropped about Hertz, and then all of a sudden everyone wants to get all excited about it. So I don't know what happens after that. But um, easy question to start, and we've seen this with copper, where there might not be enough production to come online to meet all of the supply. Is there enough production online to meet all of the supply needed for lithium? And what's the what's the case for lithium going forward? Yeah, well, it's, it's a good question, and I guess if if we knew the answer to that, we wouldn't have seen so much volatility in the in the sector. I mean, it, I think it goes with the, the space. It's a it's a relatively new commodity, although it's been around for a thousand years. It's a, a very good material for melting glass and all that sort of stuff. But it also exchanges electrons very readily, and that's why it's useful as a, a cathode in in uh, batteries and uh, to be used in Teslas and 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 uh, and anything you like. So it's a very very important um, uh, light element. Um, the development space here reminds me of the, the coal industry that I started out in many many years ago. I feel a bit embarrassed to admit that, but um, you know that that was when uh, there was simply not enough uh, production, not enough capacity, plenty of reserves, but getting reserves uh, into power stations at the time was challenging. It's lead time for this. And I think that that's the problem with lithium at the moment. We will continue to see that volatility um, because getting uh, projects uh, permitted, engineered, constructed into ships, into China, into Korea, into Japan uh, is the rate of permitting uh, issue there. And, and, that, and that takes time. So what sort of upside do you see for, the, for it? Yeah, look, again, you know, trying to get a, 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 a handle on pricing here is, is challenging. I mean, we've seen some of the smartest you know, commodity analysts in the world, you know, sort of saying, oh, well, you know, maybe 13,000 bucks might be a good number and so on. And it's getting on for nearly double that. So clearly there's a squeeze on here. And I think that we just don't know what the demand side is. We can take a punt as to what the uh, supply side is because we can sort of measure mines and all that sort of stuff and see the production. But it's very hard to get a handle on demand. And I was talking to actually a graphite sales guy the other day, and he says the demand is astonishing. You know, you use graphite, of course, in the uh, in the anode for these batteries, both synthetic and and uh, and natural graphite. And he's in the US, and he sees these electric bikes and scooters and that sort of stuff. They've gone astronomically, and they all need their little dose of lithium and, and nickel and and graphite. So I think it's probably the demand side that's been underestimated. I think we've always suspected that, but it's very, very difficult to quantify. But what's the price telling us? The price is telling us uh, you get those projects into production and we'll start paying it for it. Now, of course, what that does is, you know, it's, it's very much driven by um, supply-demand dynamics and inevitably prices will overshoot on the upside and undershoot on the downside. It's just we haven't got enough history to, uh, to demonstrate what, what is the upside and what's the downside. I, I think there's probably still some more upside this because we are seeing um, slow move back into production. We've just seen what you know. Minley's Albemarle project in Northern WA. They've just pushed the button on that. Now that's early. That's a couple of years early compared to, uh, I think, the Macquarie guys were expecting it 24, 25, something like that. So they're starting to see demand. And I think we're going to start seeing acceleration in some of the refineries, the Albemarle one, the Kemerton and one in Quinana and all that sort of stuff. But again, this is going to take time. So I think there's probably a bit of risk on the upside, yeah. particularly with the governments pushing towards uh, decarbonisation, companies pushing towards decarbonisation. All that says to me is more batteries, which means more lithium.
Yeah, and it's difficult to disagree with that. But the battery, especially when it comes to cars, when there was a time, remember that when there was a time that hydrogen versus batteries versus whatever, and and batteries absolutely won out. And now it just seems like, well, then that's obviously going to put the, a massive burden on the lithium space. Is there enough yeah. to be able to cope with it? So, it's, um, well, yeah. yeah, yeah. Globally, of course, there is. You know, the reserves of lithium, I can't remember the number, but it's, it's enormous. Um, but there are, there are supply constraints as well, and we can't forget that. Um, uh, the, the, uh, a lot of the world's lithium comes from, from uh, South America, from the brines, uh, you know, the big guys, the SQMs and the other miles and those sort of guys. Uh, but they're under a lot of pressure. I mean, Chile's not exactly, a, a, you know, we think politics here is a bit rough, but Chile is doing it tough, and they're, and they're literally biting the hand of feeds and threatening the, uh, uh, the lithium guys. Uh, and there's also environmental issues with these salars, the saline brine uh, operations, uh, because they're now being accused of disrupting water tables uh, in these very, very arid parts of the world. And I think that's got a lot of people scared. And um, I think it, you know, it always has the risk of tightening up, uh, tightening up supply. So crystal ball for lithium is not all that clear, but I think probably the risk at the moment is, is still on the upside. Uh, Chris, one quick question. Are, are there any battery technology developments that might uh, all of a sudden lead to another increase in demand for lithium? So we sort of know what the uh, battery technology is, that's the current bar- battery technology that's creating the demand for, you know, supplying Tesla and other EVs and, and so on. Um, but what about um, the uh, R&D pipeline? Uh, are there other things, interesting things in the mix there that might change the demand picture? I think every day you pick up, the, you know, the, the, the newspaper you, you see or, or a, a rag, a mining rag or something, there's always somebody posting about new technology. I think the beauty of lithium-oriented batteries, and it doesn't necessarily... Uh, mean uh, you know the standard lithium iron battery, which is made up of lithium and nickel, mainly lithium, nickel, and, and manganese. Uh, we're now starting to hear, and, and um, uh, Musk was talking about it uh, the other day, and the, the Tesla release um, of uh, lithium iron phosphate batteries. And they're attempting now to move towards that, and I think that's probably in response to his concern about the global supply of nickel. So I think that, that nowhere other than what I'm about to say in a moment uh, is lithium being displaced. It is a very, very good exchange of electrons. Uh, you know, we've heard of aluminium air batteries and these sorts of things. I, I mean, I'm no physicist. I don't know how that works. But I think industries are fairly conservative and they will change at the margin. I don't think they're going to do wholesale change changes um, very, very quickly. Um, so if we think of you know the old NICAD batteries that we used to use to power our uh, drills and so on. Well, they've gone, and well, the lithium-ion batteries have been on drills for, for many, many years, you know, sort of a couple of decades now. So I get the feeling that lithium is going to still be a, a key component. But some of the other components, you know, cobalt probably under stress, um, uh, maybe nickel, but I'd be very surprised. But there is new technology coming through, and we've been doing work on a little company called uh, TMT, Technology Metals, and they're um, looking at a Canadian project uh, to supply the uh, vanadium redox uh, battery market. A new technology, don't ask me to describe it, uh, but it's been trialled in a number of locations in China and Japan, 
I think there's even one being built in, in Australia. So I think there's going to be a lot of experimental work being done and, and some of it will be successful, some of it will not. Uh, but uh, the Canadian yeah. side looks uh, looks really interesting. But the big storage battery, this is not for cars, this is for massive storage to, to store your renewable electrons um, for use uh, at night or when the wind's not blowing and, and so on. Yeah, no, that, that's right. And, and there is a, there, there's an entire, obviously there's a huge case for that too, which which goes on. Now, you were talking about nickel, so sort of moving on. Onto that one, the quiet achiever there was sort of a bit of the hot, uh, the hot topic last year with regards to Australia's uh, communications with China, who uh, who has the big nickel, you know, has the big nickel plays, and then sort of who would want to move into nickel to be able to pick it up in North Australia. Uh, what's the what's the uh, what's the future? What do the tea leaves show you on the nickel side? Yeah, look, I'm a huge bull on on nickel. I mean, it's it's such a volatile um, species. We've had you know massive, massive. Uh, Ups and downs on on nickel, you know, it's it's not yet really geared to the battery market. It's more geared to stainless steel. It's still, seventy percent of nickel demand goes into, into stainless steel. But now, all of a sudden, left the field, we've got something that isn't geared to global GDP. It's actually a structural change, and battery manufacturers need not so much nickel; they need nickel salts, and particularly nickel sulfate. So we've seen a lot of the, um, uh, the, the the nickel producers, the hard rock nickel producers and refiners move away from producing uh, nickel metal or metallic nickel and moving into the nickel salts, selling directly to um, uh, to the battery makers. So, and for example, I believe that Quinana, BHP's refinery there, produces solely nickel sulfate. So, you know, BHP is, you know, is moving actively. Into into the battery space, and you know, boy, do they make noise out of that! I love it. You know, that's what the that's what the ESG um, uh, shareholders want to uh, uh, want to want to see. And, you know, and now they're, they're bidding against Twiggy on Norrent up in up in Canada for, for, uh, for a little uh, you know, pre-development uh, nickel place. So yeah, if you reckon BHP's done its homework on nickel? And I reckon they probably have. Yeah, uh, they're voting with a checkbook big time, and, and they're going head to head with, uh, uh, with with Andrew Forrest. So uh, I, I think you know, it's just really hard to find new hard rock nickel uh, discoveries. You know, the, the Novas of Sirius from years ago. Uh, you know, we've got the, the new Julemar from, from Chalice, great discovery, but it's still in the ground. It's going to be in the ground for a while before it sees the light of day. A lot of engineering can be done there. It's really hard to find those hard rock nickel plays. So the world's got to go to, to laterites, you know, to Indonesia, to Philippines, you know, to some unstable parts of the world um, for the nickel units. And that's happening. And that's happening as we speak. So yeah. I, I think nickel is a really, really interesting play. And I think that the market's going to say prices up here. I mean, we're back over 20,000 bucks a tonne. And I think that's more than sustainable. I think we're going to be higher before we see lower on nickel. Okay. Happy to pay up for nickel. That's, uh, that's good. Uh, graphite. Next one on. Uh, so it's an interesting one. Yeah, it's an interesting one, Grapho. We uh, we had uh, Tolga come over on the show a little while ago, whose whose main fortune was begun in Sierra Resources, which is a hell of a story. Now they're moving. Obviously, they've they've gone and they've got that chain set up with the production set up to bring it in, being heralded as one of the saviors uh, to to help the world avoid the dependence on China. Again, with the whole China's dominance on the on the sorts of bits and pieces in the middle. So, yeah, graphite. What's um what's the China get? It's it's an interesting space, graphite. I mean, I think um, Sarah, you know, good on Tolga for making his money, but he sort of uh, 
and he didn't leave us a, a great legacy, and, and that turned out to be an absolute disaster. They're, they're, they're now you know, getting back to it and, and trying to produce a, a saleable product, and you know, and I hope they do because what we want to see is a is a flagship um, uh, project. Um, a lot of the new projects uh, are, are still on the ground. A lot of them are in Africa. Curiously, uh, a few in Australia, but really none of them have, have moved anywhere near production. A lot of it uh, goes to finance and getting getting um, backers. Uh, we've seen um, BlackRock uh, getting Costco in there for their project in Africa, and they could be doing pretty well. And um, I think it, it, it's very hard. There's not a, a futures market for graphite, so it's actually quite hard to get a uh, uh, to get off take contract price guaranteed on that contract. So it can be a bit hard to finance. So you need a, a decent balance sheet behind you to do it. That said, you know, sort of, I forget the number, over 90% of the world's graphite comes out of China. And so this has got to change. It will change. And uh, because we're seeing mines close, you know, the big mine in Canada, I forget the Black Bones Eel, I think it's called, um, is on the verge of closure. And it's one of the major sources of graphite in North America. So we do need new graphite sources, and it just surprises me enormously that we haven't seen many new mines, and those that we have seen have not been successful. I sense that graphite prices are starting to move to incentivise new production, and I think uh, perhaps the market's becoming a, a, a little bit uh, more, uh, shall we say, sophisticated, understanding graphite. Um, but it's not only for batteries, it's all sorts of uses for graphite, and the world needs this. So I think, I think it's a very interesting space, graphite. It's been a poor place to be until recently, and a couple of the, uh, the guys that are going downstream, um, uh, share prices have done particularly well. They've recovered, uh, they've recovered well. But it's a, it's a little bit of a, <laughs> bit of a black art, the old graphite. Okay. And, and we'll get to, we'll, we will get to that with your process on graphite after we do rare earths, because I want to talk about the Chinese conversation with regards to that sort of going forward, which then leads into your process. So, uh, rare earths, adding anything that's on that, because uh, every time I look at rare earths, it just seems like a debacle, and it's one of those things that I just stay away from because it just seems like it's too it's too hot for me. Well, the only the only one we had to invest in, of course, is Linus. And if you invested in Linus when they did that, you know, company saving recapitalization after the disaster in Malaysia, um, you know, you've made I don't know what you made out of that, but a lot of money. It's been a great turnaround. The new management, fantastic, and uh, this is a, a really high quality project, uh, you know, based on a very high quality quality deposit at Mount Weld in uh, in Western Australia. And uh, look, you know, we've been looking around for the um, clean, small-cap um, uh, resource of uh, rare earth companies, and they're a bit, they're a bit scarce. I, I'm sure you're, you're, uh, you're uh, uncertainty because it, it, it is a bit of a uh, uh, bit of a black hole, to use a word. Um, it, there's no question that's needed. There's no question that Chinese production is in decline because the Chinese production came from these things called ionic clays, which are rare earth bearing things. Uh, the way I heard them described is it was the clays were in a valley, they tipped acid down the valley and dissolved the rare earths. And the mm. environmental catastrophe was terrible. So that's now stopped, or it's in the process of stopping, so we need new sources. There are some coming out of the US, some coming out of Africa, a big project in Africa which has been given a mining lease. And we're starting to find other projects that, that are looking reasonable. Australia has a few of them, uh, but none yet in production. Again, uh, looking for finance. Some of them need big capex. Hopefully some of them don't need such a large um, capital base. But, it, but it's challenging. We, we don't have many um, rare earth companies that we'd invest in, in the, uh, on our list. We've got one in particular I can talk to you later about. 
that, you know, what you're looking for there is uh, good concentration, so good grade. Uh, you're looking for good metallurgy, and this stuff is quite often difficult to get out of the rock. You, you want it to be well located, and you want it to be material that can be treated by uh, the downstream refiners. So generally, monocyte is, is, is the way to go. And I guess that brings, uh, of course, a, a new source of, of uh, rare earths, which is monocyte out of the mineral sands. And you may well have been seeing Aluka uh, trumpet itself. Uh, they've got a lot of monocyte. Uh, it's a sort of a radioactive, odd phosphate mineral uh, that they've been mining in Western Australia for years. They've got stockpiles. I think it's actually in their old tailing stands. And they're now starting to sell that into Asia for sorts of uh, rare earths. So this, I think, will be a very important source of rare earths going forward. And I almost get a sense if you read the, the Aluka uh, presentations that they're, they're drifting away from mineral sands and zircon and ilmenite towards, uh, towards rare earths, which is really quite uh, quite interesting. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's a hard, hard, hard place to, uh, to prospect uh, rare earths, yeah. Chris, you, you, you touched on some of your process in, in that uh, when you were just talking about how you think about companies. Can you maybe give us a summary about like, how you assess companies in general? What, what process do you use? Yeah, I, I, I often say I'm a bit of a commodity agnostic, which is not quite true, but you've got to be very careful, I think, of, of, of doing a top-down uh, investment. And that is, I like gold, so I'm going to buy gold companies. Because you know, if you did that, I think that's probably a pretty good way of going through Because you know, if we could call the gold price, we wouldn't be doing this, right? We'd be sitting on the beach drinking Coladas. Mm-hmm. You know, commodities are very, very hard to pick. So what I try and do is, is yeah, okay, put a, put a general overlay, a commodity over, overlay. And we've just spoken about a number of those commodities that I think is a, 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 there's generally tailwinds rather than headwinds. And then try and find good quality, you know, hopefully low-risk companies within that. And the, the attributes that I quite like, and, you know, let's start with management. It's all about management. You want good guys running projects. Geos doing well, good engineers able to bring these projects into production. But look at projects that have got long mine loads, that when they're in development and production, they can generate low cash costs, so high margins. Because inevitably, I mean, this is a cyclical industry, whichever way you look at it, and commodity prices will go down. And what you want to make sure is the company you've invested in doesn't go broke at the bottom of the cycle. And, you know, we've seen that in the lithium space, haven't we? You know, with poor old Altura and a few of these guys at the bottom of the cycle. They go out of business and they get taken over by Kilburn and, you know, the poor old Alpha shareholders are left with nothing. And that, that was a, a, a really unfortunate sort of thing. So my view is go for, go for good, good, long, uh, life all bodies. Go for those high grade, uh, generate your low costs and, um, and good management and uh, ticking those boxes and, you know, a whole bunch of others, of course. Uh, I think that's really, yeah, really quite important. So we sit through a lot of companies. And we're very specific about what we invest in. I'm looking at uh, Lion Town at the moment. Did you want to talk to that? Oh, yeah, happy to. That has to be one of our. <laughs> that's been a, been a great one for the, for the world, especially for Tim Goyder, a very old friend from many, many years ago. To get to get Lion Town and Chalice in the space of 12 months, unbelievable. Mm-hmm. He, um, you know, very, very smart work and very good geos behind him. And uh, he's, he's, a, he's a great guy. Yeah, Lion Town, we backed um, oh, a year and a half, two years ago, I suppose. And, I think we first put money in about at three cents, and I think today it's it's just um, uh, about a dollar eighty. Unbelievable! You know, probably probably one of the most successful investments I've made. It's been fantastic, and uh, we followed that. We followed the Kaplan Valley deposit from you know tiny tons to now one hundred and thirty something million tons, of good grade, 
but it's the only uncommitted, really the only uncommitted um, hard rock lithium project on the uh, on the planet. So of any substance, I call this a tier one project. It's, it's long my life, well located, good grades, all that stuff, and uh, it's it's a beauty. And this is going to be a great project. I don't know whether it's going to survive life as I am found. The market would suggest to me that somebody's building a position, but, but who knows? It's a really first-class project, no doubt. So no that's uh, stock code LTR and in the lithium spot. Uh, have you got anything in the, in the graphite side? I mean, you spoke interestingly about that. Yeah, graphite's interesting. A lot of the companies I mentioned, and you know, BlackRock and those sort of guys, excellent companies, there's no question. Um, but they're, you know, sort of 100 million, 150 million, uh, those uh, you know, pretty, pretty, pretty ditzy. Something we've been looking at for a long time, uh, which sort of morphed its way into gold uh, uh, exploration and hopefully soon into production, is a, a, a company called Marvel Gold. And it has within it a, um, a very good graphite project called Jalalo. Uh, they, in the, in the days of the spin out, this is, this is what's being spun out. So this is a graphite company, the famous gold company, who's now spinning out, uh, the Chalalo graphite, graphite project. To be fair, you know, it's a project like most of them in, in Tanzania. Tanzania was troublesome. A couple of years ago, new president, things are sorting out. This is a good project. Good grade, very high quality graphite, usable in batteries, but also industrially for expandable graphite and this sort of thing. And this has been spun out, literally, as we speak, there's a prospectus out now. I think the call for money is done. They've got some really good, high-quality um, funds out of the UK, from ESG funds out of the UK. And um, uh, so that's, uh, they'll raise that as a separate company. It'll be a separate company. My bet is that ultimately it'll become a completely separate company. Run by Trevor Benson, who came out of Walkabout, uh, a guy out of um, SARA, Michael Bourguignon, uh, who's one of the technical guys at SARA. So some good skills there. It is Africa, um, but uh, I think Tanzania controls most of the world's uh, new undeveloped um, uh, uh, graphite projects. So I think this is going to be a, a place to watch. And this will be cheap. I mean, uh, Marvel market cap, I think, is $40 million. And I don't think there's anything in that for, um, for, for the graphite uh, uh, assets. So I think that in itself is, is interesting. So um, that, that's, uh, that's my graphite play at the moment. Good. Uh, the the spin-out's going to be called Evolution. It's going to be called Evolution, and it's coming up uh, now. Well, ish. Um, what else is on your list, Chris? Um, I guess on the uh, on the nickel side, we've been playing around. It's a bit hard to find uh, nickel production. They've all run, you know, the panoramics and the mini cores. I mean, they're all hundreds of millions of dollars now. So I guess really, you know, the leverage there is higher nickel pricing. You know, I don't mind betting on a higher nickel price, but you know, I like I like to keep something up the sleeve as well. Um, we've been looking around at a few little nickel exploration plays at Caroline that are doing some good stuff in the phrase. A few spin outs too. I'd be watching out for the nickel exploration spin outs because one I'm not sure it's public yet, but um, probably isn't. So just 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 watch the, the pages of the uh, of the thin review for the things that are coming up because there's a, there's a lot of nickel exploration in in uh, explorers and mining companies around. The one we've been playing at the moment uh, is uh, a company called Pacific Nickel Mines, uh, and they're, um, they're focused on lateritic nickel. And so they'll be exporting nickel into the um, what's called the, the RKEF, for every kiln electro-furnace, or nickel in pig iron industry in China. Mm-hmm. Uh, takes the bulk of its nickel out of the Philippines now, now that Indonesia's closed its, uh, its stores to, uh, to export. So... Ultimately, these are nickel units where they come from hard rock or laterite, doesn't much matter. 
the world is moving to a position of being short nickel, so um, this is a, a good way to play. Uh, it's a $25, $30 million market uh, company, very, very small, but uh, it's got some serious value there. It is in the Solomons, uh, and we've, uh, the, you know, the Solomons has got, uh, has got form. Uh, this is run by very professional bunch of guys, very good uh, mining guys that have experience in this sort of environment, and they seem to be doing very, very well. Socks had a, been on a bit of a tear recently. I think the market looked at them and said, hmm, maybe these guys um, will be successful here. So anyway, it's a very small company, but uh, definitely one to put on the, uh, on the watch yeah. list. Uh, and the stock code for that, PNM, uh, I've got here listed yeah. locally. Um, and I, I know that you push for time, Chris, and thank you so much. So I reckon one more, like whatever else you've got that's on there? Yeah, okay. One that we've just uh, completed a report on uh, is a, another lithium play that we, we like, and there's, there's, there's a lot of them around that we like, and there's a lot that I'm not so fussed on. Uh, but a company we like and like Mammoth, but a lot, you know, they've done a great job, is, is Iron Air. Um, a bit unconventional, this one. It's in the US, which is excellent because that's where this is Biden trying to fix up the supply chain. So they should be able to get a lot of cash from the Department of Energy to help them along with their projects. The project called Rylight Ridge in Nevada, and uh, this is um, through DFS. I've just bought it in Sabanya Stillwater, a, a big platinum company as, as a 50-50 JV partner. So effectively, not effectively, the project is, is, is largely funded. Uh, of course, they need the, the, um, the debt finances to come along, but with Sabanya in the background and, and um, being in the US, this should be a, a, a little concern. It's going to be a lithium producer. It's going to be a, a, a leached lithium producer. So they'll go directly from a, a very odd rock type to, um, uh, to lithium carbonate, perhaps hydroxide. And they'll also be producing borax or boric acid as a byproduct. It's a very odd ore body, um, but a very large odd ore body. And that borax will be a, a, a real cost credit to them. And uh, they'll become a, an emerging producer of borax for uh, uh, used in all sorts of industries for fluxes and, and agriculture and the whole bunch of stuff. So um, that's a really interesting um, project. And as I said now, pretty well fully, fully financed and just waiting for its mining lease. We've got a little bit of a while to wait there. The mining lease is going to, it is America. Hard to permit, but uh, uh, we believe it will it'll, uh, it'll come through the um, uh, the, object, the objection time um, uh, the next uh, couple of months, and uh, they'll get that uh, mining lease uh, next year, and then onward and upward. But this is a good project, and to us, it looks quite inexpensive against uh, against the peer group. And uh, I'm just looking that up. So stock code is I N R India November Romeo on that one listed locally. Correct. Uh, Chris, with nothing else to go through, I would like to thank you for your time. Uh, thank you so much. If anyone wants to get in touch with uh, Chris Baker or any of the Bridge Street team, please uh, let us know, send us a note, or send a note to info at bridgestreetcapital.com.au. Don't forget to subscribe to the show. Rate us to leave a review wherever you get your podcast. You can find us on iTunes at The Bip Show or wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Twitter at the underscore bip underscore uh, underscore yeah underscore bip underscore show and we're on facebook too search the bip show lots of business pieces going out as well individually at colgo uh, myself at james Whelan 42 and at ken vexler ken we'll catch you next time uh actually chris have you got a twitter uh no good answer uh <laughs> sorry look, chris thank you so much for joining us today it's been sensational and uh, and we'll catch you next time Thank you for your time. I really enjoyed it.
No problem at all. Uh, Colgo, mate, thanks so much. Catch you next time. Yeah, it's a good one. Thanks. No problem at all. Uh, this show is produced by Rick Solver. We will catch you next time. Thank you so much for listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.